We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm John McKechnie, joined today by Kev, my surgeon. Very excited to have him on as a guest. We're going to break down some best ball ADP discussion, talk about those dead zones, talk about some rookies that we're targeting, rookies that we're fading. Also get into a little bit of Eagles and Falcons talk, some dirty birds to, to round out the show. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, May 18th. John McCackney here with Kev, my surgeon. We are presented by our friends over at Circus Sports. Kev, how are you doing on this fine Thursday? Thanks for jumping on with us. John, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to talk some uh, ADP, best ball, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a good draft season so far. We got the actual NFL draft over with, so raring to go. Yeah, exactly. That that's obviously a huge signpost. And then uh, last week or so, with with uh, this or two weeks ago, with the schedule uh, being released, that that kind of gives us a, a picture of how to navigate things as far as bye weeks are concerned. But before we get get into uh, you know talking some shop here, uh, you and I have been friends on Twitter in the in the football DMs, all that good stuff. But this is our first time on air together, so if you would just kind of give yourself a, a bit of an introduction uh, to the audience. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I hate talking about myself, but when it comes down to it, uh, I've been doing fantasy for, I think, five or six years now in terms of like, you know, writing, podcasting. I have the Operating Room podcast you can find on uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever podcasts are available. Twitter is down here at Rotosurgeon. That's literally, you know, my, uh, you know, stream of consciousness, anything that comes to mind, fantasy, real life, whatever wise. I just tweet it out. So, you know, if you have any interests at all, I probably tweet about them. Uh, yeah, and then writing, wrote a baller. It's where all the good stuff goes. Uh, the actual analysis, like the deep dives, not just shit posts and takes. So, uh, yeah, check me out over there. That's honestly like, um, I just love playing so much. Like, underdog and whatnot has really taken over my life in recent years. And, uh, it, it gets me through a work day, it gets me through the weekends. Just like you get bored, you're like, ah, $5 draft. Ah, who says no? No, exactly. Like I, I, that's exactly what I've been doing. And yeah, best ball has just changed the, the, you know, the time frame of, of your fantasy football prep. Like if you're starting to look at things in March, you're like behind now. Uh, it, it's yeah. crazy the way that the best ball ha has altered that. And, and it allows you to just kind of be involved like 365 
days out of the year. And then also, uh, are you a, a USC alum, big Caleb Williams guy? I got to, you know, flash the letters right here. Yes. There we go. I, right on. I have my sweater. I know I just have my sweater at work. But uh, yeah, no, I love Caleb Williams. Big, big believer. And, uh, you know, I was a big Sam Darnold believer as well. So it's, I'm not a hundred percent hit right here. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, but I, I, I am excited I, though. How can you not be? I think he's going to be the, you know, there, there's going to be almost Trevor Lawrence levels of, of like tank intrigue. Uh, this year and some good teams to to participate in it as well. I hate the uh, the Patrick Mahomes comp, Mahomes comps because they're already like it's been going on since mid season basically. Uh, he won the Heisman sophomore, obviously great. You know it, it, his future is bright and all that, but we need to kind of pump the brakes on the Mahomes takes. I saw someone say he's bigger Kyler, and I think I like that a lot more. Yeah, he he's definitely you know he's not the tallest guy in the world, but he, he he's got no. kind of like a, a Russell Wilson type of like density and yeah. and athleticism to him. Um, so he he's definitely got a lot going on, and I, I think the Mahomes stuff probably comes from like his you know kind of artful arm angles that 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 he uses. I mean, he's really delivering it from you know any possible uh, dimension. It's very impressive. Uh, also important to note, uh, him and I went to the same high school, so. Oh, uh, I'm a big fan of his as well. Wow, we all we all have all these connections to Caleb Williams. How can you not? Love yeah, him? the the six degrees of Caleb Williams, uh, <laughs> featuring John and Kev. Um, but let's uh, let's go ahead. Let's uh, let's dive in. Talk some best ball. Obviously, we're 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 amongst it. We're in it. We're in the mix. And I find that the the first two rounds, as per usual, hard to miss as far as uh, what you're walking away with. Um, but the third round, I feel like, it is where things get a little bit dicey. So um, in that range, um, who are some guys that you've been routinely targeting and some guys that you're you're just like, this guy's going in that round, but that's nice to know. I'm not touching him there. Okay, uh, let's start with that. I'm not touching him there. Devonta Smith. Uh, prior to the Dallas Goddard injury in, I believe it was week 10, Smith was averaging in full PPR. This isn't half PPR. Uh, 12.2 points per game. That is lower than Alan Lazard, lower than Michael Pittman Jr., lower than Juju Smith-Schuster. Again, this is full PPR, not half like underdog, but nevertheless, it's close enough in the half point, whatever. Point being, I'm not targeting Devonta Smith. You would need an injury to either A.J. Brown or Dallas Goddard to really pay off that fringe second round, third round ADP. Um, can he get there? Sure. I'm not saying he's not. Can he get better? Yeah, sure. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he's going to score 12 points per game for the full year, but if he's a say 13 and a half to 14 point per game scorer in again, full PPR, Devonta Smith is, that's a waste of a pick where you're getting him. Whereas the running backs in that range, let's say I'm going to get a Nick Chubb, a Tony Pollard, guys who I can potentially bank on getting 15 to 16 points per game regularly. Uh, yes, I get, you know, RBs are fringier when it comes to health and all of that, but I'd much rather target the RBs in that range or even a T Higgins. They're going back to back. T Higgins, I believe the last two years has well outscored Devonta Smith and they're going, yeah, Smith is ahead of T Higgins in ADP, which makes no sense whatsoever. He's in a higher pass volume offense. Uh, his quarterback has a higher touchdown rate. I think T. Higgins is better than Devonta Smith, just one to one. So this makes absolutely no sense to me. And then another fade. Uh, we'll get into, but I'm happy to hear your thoughts on Devonta if you want. 
Yeah, I haven't really gotten m- many shares of him either because, yes, like you, you basically have to draft him as maybe your wide receiver one, or, or if you're going, you know, heavy wide receiver, that then he's your second. But even still, like you, the the margin for error is, is pretty slim with, with him, and I, I think you hit on on the key point when it comes to uh, him versus Higgins. Like the Eagles, they're not going to lead the league in in pass attempts. Like they're they're just not. They're not really even going to be close. Like running the ball is, is a huge part of their identity. They they have the great offensive line, and then like you said, you got AJ Brown, you got Dallas Goddard in the mix, and it's just a, a smaller like in t- total pie. So even if Smith has like a pretty good share of it, um, it's still smaller than than you know what what Higgins is going to be bringing to the table. And, and Higgins definitely like a more conventional projection as far as your red zone ability going up and, and getting the ball um deep deep in the in the end zone that type of thing so yeah higgins for me um is the guy to go with uh, over him and it, you know if chris olave falls although his market is heated up to where like you're, you're lucky to get yeah. him at, at like the end of the second at this point but um yeah re- receiver is kind of a dead zone there D- dk metcalf and debo samuel are the other guys that that are kind of in that range but with Debo, I'm just, you know, even with the, the rushing production that, that he has, like, you, you can't really, you don't want to bank on that as, like, the, the big, big yeah. selling point. It, it, it can be, like, a, a nice add-on, but you need con- consistent recept- or receiving production. And, frankly, like, the, the way that this 49ers offense looks as far as the, the passing game goes, I'm, I'm dubious. I, I like Debo's price. He's going mid thirties, like 33 to 35 pick range. So end of the third, early fourth. I do like Debo. I'm not going to lie. Uh, rushing production, obviously a big factor in that. Um, he is, you know, I don't expect eight touchdowns on the ground like 2021, but with presumably Trey Lance under center, I am going into the season assuming it's Trey Lance. I do think. They are going to be a run first offense, which is, you know, how they're built up even more so. And putting Debo Samuel in the backfield, putting him uh, on the jet sweeps and whatnot, they're going to use him early and often. You know, I know they brought in CMC and that does muddy the waters a little bit for him. But overall, uh, I think the short game is going to run through Debo Samuel. Uh, in terms of the passing, you know, whether it be the, I, I, what are the toss, the toss passes, the forward passes? Uh, I think the tops, yeah. The pop pass, yeah, those are going to be run a lot, I think, to Debo Samuel, occasionally to CMC, but more so Debo. Um, and given his, you know, how adept he is to scoring touchdowns and how much they use, use him in the red zone, I think that is a good use of ADP or good use of draft capital at his ADP. He is about around, around and a half down from last year. Mm-hmm. So I'm buying the dip. I, I just don't know because the offense is so unclear with Lance. We don't really know what it looks like. We saw it in like heavy rains. We saw it with Lance as a rookie, but I don't think we've really seen what, what a Trey Lance led 49ers offense looks like. And if there's one piece I want, it's Debo. Okay. Yeah. That, that is the, the kind of frustrating wrinkle here is that we don't have really, you know, this is Trey Lance's third season in the league and we have basically no sample to work with because it, you know, last year he gets hurt in the, early in the second game and, and yeah, just the, the crazy weather in Chicago to lead things off week one. We just don't really know uh, what they have, but you know, there was a lot of debate discussion as to whether the, the Niners would move him, uh, dur- during the draft. That obviously didn't happen. So I, I think that your assumption there that, that he opens the season as the starter definitely like 
it, it holds a lot more water uh, yeah. now post draft now that he's still there. It's unfortunate because I do like Lance. I want to believe in him, and this is kind of just by default that I'm assuming mm-hmm. he's the starter. Purdy, I get it. He played relatively well towards the end of the season and into the playoffs, but I just look at him like such a fringe starter in general. Like he succeeds because he's in the 49ers offense. He doesn't succeed yep. because he's a good quarterback. Uh, the barometer for that is moderate accuracy and not taking sacks. He yeah, doesn't really I mean, need to do much else, which is what Jimmy G did. And that's what got him $20 million a year, which exactly. we've all seen and complained about. Excuse me. I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but um, when I'm projecting the 49ers offense, when I'm looking at it, I'm just like, Trey Lance is on both legs. Both of his arms work. I mean, he only needs one arm to work. And that is probably not the case for Purdy, whose arm strength was already so marginal. With Tommy John or whatever elbow surgery he had, if that gets to such a below average, below par level, he's not going to be capable of playing in the NFL. We're looking at like a human arm rather than an NFL quarterback arm. Right. Yep. And that, and that's just, that's a problem. You know, he's, he's someone that was, like you said, you know, already a fringe guy to, to begin with. Kind of crazy that he entered, that he played it all last season being, uh, Mr. Irrelevant. But that's obviously the, the cards that, uh, the, the Niners were dealt as far as their quarterback injuries went. But, um, you know, it was a testament to, to Shanahan being able to, uh, you know, come up with an offense that, that Purdy can, can run and run reasonably well. I don't think that you can deny that it, that he did well under those circumstances yeah. last year, all things considered. But yeah, I don't think that anything really like screamed, oh yeah, this guy is it. He's the future. Um, so I think that Lance probably should be uh, the guy. But you know, we'll, we'll see how things shake out dur- during training camp. Yeah. Um, before we get on over, we, we got uh, some more ADP dead zones to, to try to, to uh, navigate here. But a quick message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, moving on over to let's say the the eighth round. Things get a little bit funky there. You know, the running back pool is starting to dry up at, at that point. You you're you're taking either High-end backups. You're taking, um, you know, Anthony Richardson go, goes in in that uh, area as, as far as quarterbacks go. But like, you know, Rashad White, Alvin Kamara, Alexander Madison. Uh, he's pretty interesting to me, actually. So I wanted to to get your thoughts on him in light of you know what 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 seems to be kind of like a dubious situation with with uh, Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. I kind of hate it because I liked Madison a lot when he was going after pick 100. I have a lot of Alexander Madison. I'm not going to pay for it until we see something happen with Dalvin because I'm not 100% sure they cut him post June 1st. I think they restructure him and he takes it. Uh, what was like, uh, rushing yards over expectation or whatever stat it was that came out that had Dalvin Cook dead last. Uh, that's not going to hurt. That's not going to help his market. Um, I don't think any team is going to trade for him. And the Vikings drafted him. They've kept him this long. He's still like got his legs in terms of like he's still fast. And he had this shoulder surgery. So my guess is he's still viable and they bring him back on a restructured deal. Somewhat like Mixon, he's still kind of on the Bengals. I expected him to get cut. I think teams just kind of hold on to these guys way longer than they should. Um, I'm not going to pay for Madison. I do like, um, yeah. Oh my God. I don't like any of these running backs. Actually, I'm looking yeah, at it right, right now. I like the wide receivers though. I like Cooks. I like Quentin Johnston a lot. Uh, if Deontay Johnson or Traylon Burks falls in this range, I'm absolutely smashing both those guys. Um, excuse me, pause. Uh, I'm taking <laughs> either. I'm uh, I'm hoping Traylon Burks or Deontay Johnson fall to this range because those are the guys that want to take the wide receiver ones on their teams. Albeit the pass offenses are terrible, the players I believe are good enough to make up for the difference between that uh, the volume issues. Yeah, I, I can certainly see that. I, I, I'm probably a little bit more inclined to go Deontay over Burks. I, I do need to get some Burks shares just in case. I mean, I, I I envisioned him struggling as a rookie, and and he did, but like that doesn't mean that he can't develop in, into something more. You know, it, it takes a little bit of time, especially with the system that that he was coming from at Arkansas, where he's just running from the slot and just. Uh, I mean, this is unfair. A guy that big going against nickel corners in college, yeah. like it, of course he's going to crush. Um, but um, as far as um, Quentin Johnston is concerned, he's definitely one of my favorite uh, rookie receivers to target. I think for, for me, it's it's him and Addison um, are, are the two that, I, that I'm looking at. I, I don't particularly like JSN at, at his uh, particular mm -hmm. price point, you know, a late fifth round type of guy. And it's interesting to me also that, that Zay Flowers is conventionally going as the first Ravens receiver. Um, off the board, yeah. so let, let's let's get into those rookies a little bit. You know, sorting sorting them out between those four, uh, first four. Uh, Addison Clears Day should be the number one uh, rookie wide receiver off the board. Like I, he is, I believe. Let me see. Yeah, no, he is definitely going as the first rookie wide receiver. I'm happy to pay for it. Wide receiver two in a Kirk Cousins led offense, which you know I get it, Kirk Cousins, but that's high pass volume. That's 600 plus pass attempts per year. 
Justin Jefferson commanding double coverage, maybe even triple coverage on the other side. Jordan Addison getting free releases, which is literally what he needs to succeed in the NFL. Yep. Basically, the off coverage, five yards off, uh, cornerbacks, DB, whatever. He can easily crack a thousand yards as a rookie. I don't know how many touchdowns he's going to score because that's a crapshoot with rookies, but I definitely think he's going to crack a thousand in a healthy season. Heavy target share. KJ Osborne's not that good. I, I'm not like a big, what is it? Uh, TJ Hawkinson guy. Like he's fine, but he, it was by default. He saw the target share he did last year. Yep. I'm, uh, I'm in on Addison. JSN. Now he's good. I, I'm not saying he's bad, but how sure are we he's going to be playing in two wide receiver sets consistently? The Seahawks do like to run two tight end. Um, no, not, I don't know what's going to happen with Noah Fant. I don't really, but like at the moment, they have like a ton of tight ends on the roster and they run 12 a good bit. I think JSN will not play the snap share people expect in year one, but like going forward, he's going to be very, he's a good wide receiver. I'm not saying anything bad against him. I'm just saying it's a tricky situation. And I'm not really taking him or DK. I'm okay with Lockett, but I'm not really running to draft Lockett. And I don't know. I don't trust Gino completely. Like, right. I think he's like, I'll draft him actually. Like, I'll draft Gino, but I don't really want to pay for his weapons if that makes sense. Like, I'll pay for, I'll buy them if they fall. No, no yeah, exactly. So, so with JSN, like, like you said, like the structure of this offense is such that, yeah, that there's a lot of, Two receiver sets and, and you know, DK and, and Lockett both kind of mix and match as far as lining up on the boundary or, or in the slot. So, you know, I, I think it, it's it is like a hasty assumption to assume that that all of a sudden uh, they're, they're going 11 personnel a lot or, or that, you know, simply um, JSN is getting like 100 percent of, of those slot snaps. Like, I think that that's that's a bit much. And, you know, that I know we've like already forgotten about D Eskridge, but like, you know, it, it, it's just like. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like it's just such a lock that that he's going to see all all this volume to to make him worth taking yeah. um, in in the late fifth round. And it, it wouldn't surprise me also if if the if the Seahawks like if they ha- if Pete like had his preferred setup, I think that they would be a little bit more run heavy. And I think that them taking Zach Charbonnet actually on on day two kind of yeah. underlines that point where they they. You know they they built the offensive lineup a decent bit last year. If the defense is better, all of a sudden you you see the Seahawks playing with more leads. You're not exposing Geno quite as much, and you just pound the rock with 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 Kenneth Walker and and Zach Charbonnet. So so you know, there's potential fall off as far as the the overall passing volume here. That's what pisses me off the most. I'm sorry, I don't know <laughs> if I could say pisses me off on air, but when it comes down to yeah, thank you. They took Zach Charbonnet. They. they what is their identity going forward? We don't really know. I think they hedged way too much in this draft. They, we don't really have like an idea. Of, like They're a good team. I think this is going to be a good team this year. Great team, probably not. because. And, and I love Pete Carroll, but this is a very confusing roster. Uh, the defense is improved. I'll give them that much. Uh, it, it is just very frustrating as to what they're going to be. And projecting that and buying into these ADPs, despite there being very, like, I love DK, I love Lockett, and I like JSN. I don't know what to do with them because it just comes down to how the offense is going to run. If Gino is going to turn into a pumpkin, everything kind of is off. And then Zach Charbonnet, how much he's going to be involved, how much Kenneth Walker is going to be involved. If they, if Kenny McIntosh eats into their workload, we don't even know if they're useful. 
Right. It, no, exactly. Because because Macintosh, I think, uh, you know, did, he had the terrible combine that that obviously sent his draft stock falling. But watching him at Georgia, um, he got better as a runner every single year, and and as a pass catcher, I think he is the best pass catcher in that backfield by by a decent bit already. So whether that that actually turns into something that's fruitful for for Kenny McIntosh or just something that's a pain in the butt for uh, Walker and, and Charbonnet investors, what we'll see. But, you know, I, I think that it needs to at least uh, be considered uh, in, in some capacity. So, yeah, the, the Seahawks, we agree that they're going to be good, but with the identity a lot uh, more murky. Uh, before we get on to our next topic, got a message from our friends over at Circa. The ultimate fantasy football draft can only take place in Las Vegas. Circa Resort and Casino wants to bring your whole league to Vegas with the Ultimate Fantasy Football Experience Giveaway. Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circa Resort and have your draft at a cabana at Stadium Swim. Plus, limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sports book, and more. A prize package valued at over $8,000 there is no better place to draft than Circa 21 and up. Go to CircaLasVegas.com for more information. Again, that's CircaLasVegas.com for more information. All right, heading back to the that eighth, ninth round um, area in, in the draft. Uh, a guy who is consistently coming up in that range is James Cook. And I, I want to get your, your thoughts on, on both him and Rashad White because it feels like, you know, there, there are a couple of year two uh, running backs who, who should be in line to take on bigger work this year. But do you think that they're capable of, of turning that that role into, into you know, something that makes them worthy of a, an eighth round selection? Or are we even sure that they're going to get the role that, that they have to be uh, kind of expected to be getting at this particular draft point, uh, price point? Yeah, to that point, uh, the role that they're supposed to get or that we're presuming they're getting James Cook wise. No, I don't think James Cook is going to get an expanded role to the degree that would pay off at 80. I mean, I guess if you get some spike weeks, that'll be great. You know, in a Buffalo offense, you can get touchdowns. But overall, I don't think he's going to get the usage necessary to get him to what you want him to be in that kind of zero RB dead zone RB range, whatever you want to call that. Um, yeah, I, I, Think James Cook's electric. He has, he has the juice. He can get, he has breakaway speed. But when it comes down to it, he's just not a savvy enough runner between the tackles. He is uh, a low usage back. If you watched him at Georgia, I know Georgia, I mean, you probably watched him at Georgia. I'm not saying you. Oh, yeah. But you get the point. Like, um, they didn't alternate him because they just alternate running backs. They alternated him because he was a limited runner. And most of his plays in Georgia's offense were gadget plays where he was used on like, uh, like screen passes, just like, pop passes, all of these random, you know, cutesy offensive things. It felt like the Memphis offense uh, redux for Georgia mm-hmm. when they used James Cook, the way they used like Daryl Henderson and whatnot. Uh, I actually think that's somewhat of a similar, like Daryl Henderson, James Cook, you know, corollary, if you want to make it. Um, they're not running back ones. They're not lead running backs, but they're fine change of pace guys. I'm not going to pay for James Cook. Rashad White is where things get very murky because I think, I mean, the offense is mediocre with Baker Mayfield leading the way. Uh, they're going to run more with Baker Mayfield rather than Tom Brady and leading the league in passing over the last like three years or so. I just don't, I, I don't know how good Rashad White is. I think he's fine. Uh, part of why he didn't play so much is he's a terrible pass blocker, but I don't know how much of that matters with Baker Mayfield back there relative to Tom Brady. Um, 
I'm probably passing on him in underdog, like half PPR leagues, full PPR. I might take some shots on him, uh, like NFC or home leagues that are full PPR. I'm very torn on Rashad White because the usage could be massive. Uh, Sean Tucker, I do like the profile, but he has like a heart issue. Right. I don't think that's much of a threat behind that. They, they don't really have much. And Rashad White, I mean, he doesn't really profile as an RB1, but he could be one of those guys who lucks into an RB1 season based off of being on a bad team and kind of being the only guy there. Yeah, no, exactly. Like the, the, the rest of that depth chart, like he was a huge winner from, from the NFL draft with, with the way that the, the Buccaneers, like I wouldn't have faulted the Buccaneers for, for taking Jameer Gibbs. Uh, but he obviously wasn't even available. But, you know, if, if, if he was available at 19 or if they, they wanted to go, uh, in the second round with the running back, like I, I would have been on board with that just because I, I'm not totally sold on, on Rashad White. But then again, they seem to be. Um, and, and I think that that, that yeah. is telling. Um, I think the offensive line, um, it, it dealt with a lot of injuries last year. And if, if that unit is overall healthier again, um, then, you know, that you should have a little bit, uh, better wide open, you know, run blocking lanes, that type of thing. So, uh, I think, uh, we, we've kind of talked me into, into getting a little bit more exposure, um, to Rashad White here at, at his ADP. But yeah, with, with James Cook, I feel like I need to chill out on drafting Damian Harris because that's how out Ooh. I am. On, on I, like, James I like Harris. I like I Harris. Too. I'm not, I think he's a touchdown score. That's why. Uh, like, if you some for some reason play in like standard leagues, uh, nobody does that really anymore. But if you do, Damien Harris is your guy. That is the late round running back. Uh, underdog, half PPR, whatever. Uh, that, I'm still targeting Damien Harris. I have a good bit. Um, he could easily be a thousand plus yard rusher with 10 plus touchdowns in this offense. They did, they, they keep saying throughout the offseason, I believe it. They don't want Josh Allen running as much. And Damian Harris, I don't think it's a stretch to say he's the most talented rusher they will have in this backfield throughout the Josh Allen era. Or yeah, I, I don't think so either. I, I think that he, he's right there. I thought he was a good player at, at, uh, in New England. He obviously got just kind of overtaken by, by Ramondre the, this past year, but, um, I, I think that there's still, a lot to his game. And I think he can handle the functions that have been, you know, kind of sorely missing from that group of running backs over the last few years, whether it was Devin Singletary or what, what they're trying to get out of Zach Moss and, and obviously James Cook now too. They, those guys just like they, for a team in Buffalo, they are so finesse and they, they needed a guy like, like Harris that they can kind of push the pile a little bit more. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It feels like uh, they're going to go, you know, back in time incense they're just going to be ground and pound which they have a good defense they have a solid-ish o-line it's somewhat improved i would say um and Allen again he opens up the field he he adds a number on the offense that the defense has to take care of on rushes so even if the offensive line isn't perfect just having josh allen back there opens up the field for a guy like damian harris we've seen devin singletary who i, I don't think is the most talented guy have like five yard per carry seasons Damian Harris on, on a terrible Patriots, or not terrible two years ago, but mediocre Patriots offense two years ago looked like one of the best rushers in the league. And last year got dinged up. Like you said, lost his job to uh, Ramondre Stevenson, who like by many metrics looked like a premier running back in the NFL, was phenomenal as a receiver. Um, I think that's more a testament to how good Ramondre is rather than any knock on Damian Harris. And he lucked into this landing spot. And again, he could be another guy who benefits like a one-year wonder 
type of running back where he just landed in the right spot or has the right situation. Well, uh, you know, opposite of Rashad White, where this is an actually good offense. And I mean, he's not a pass catcher, but that's kind of the yin and yang of these two guys. Exactly. And, and you know what, fr- frankly, like, I don't think that there's a, like the bills could have Austin Eckler. It, I don't think that Josh Allen loves throwing it to, to running backs, just period. Like, I think he, if, if he's dropping back, like he's not doing it to take these little cheap underneath dink and dunk type, mm-hmm. type of things. And, and again, that, that kind of cut, cuts into Cook's value because what, what is he best at? It's, it's catching passes, but unless, you know, they, they split him out, you know, you talked about his, his usage at Georgia, they, they would put him in the slot sometimes and send him down the field. And like that, that's great. That, that's a cool trick. But it's not something that is going to be like a reliable yeah. uh, like piece uh, week week to week, and it's not something that like the Bills should endeavor to be doing. They should have a, a guy who runs a slot rep from or as an actual wide receiver. Yeah, no, they definitely it, Cook's going to have his spike weeks just from the sake of being in that offense. There are going to be weeks where either the Bills are blowing out an opponent, or for some reason they game plan Cook heavily but it's not going to be a regular option. He's just not big enough to have the workload necessary. And he's also just not skilled enough to play consistently and be used all around the field. Um, if I'm taking a Buffalo running back, it's 100% Damian Harris, regardless of format. Uh, and yeah, Rashad White, going back to him, I mean, he had 56 targets as a rookie, 56 or 58. I'm not 100% right now. And that was in a shared role. Um, I get it. Again, the, the Buccaneers offense was tops in pass attempts per game. And even with that dipping, if he is the lead running back playing 70% of the offense's snaps, uh, you know, the ceiling is pretty high for Rashad White this season. Uh, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, yeah, the, the, the Bucks, Bucks seem to just kind of be like the, this team that no one really knows what, what to do with, but like, uh, you know, similar to the Seahawks, but, but on like the, the lower end where, you know, like Mike Evans, his draft price relative to last year is way down. Uh, Chris Godwin, sa- same deal. Um, so yeah. there, there could be some value there. Um, so a, as many of our listeners know, I'm a Ravens fan and I need you to handicap what to do with these receivers. Cause they all go in, in roughly the, the same range, all, all within like three, four rounds of each other. Is the market getting it right that Zay Flowers, it, it should be the first re- uh, Ravens receiver taken or, or is it Bateman or is it Beckham? And, and do you like either of them um, at their respective ADPs? I, I love Rashad Bateman, the player. I, I think he is a wide receiver one caliber talent in the NFL. My only concern is he broke his list, Frank, and had surgery on it over the offseason or midseason. I forgot when it was he had surgery. But looking at that and looking at the history of list, Frank surgery, we saw like Evan Ingram, his skill, his talent just fell through the, the floor after his list, Frank. Travis Etienne came back and he looked really good last year, but he was still like RB23 in points per game after mm-hmm. getting drafted as like RB 13 or 14. I forgot what it was exactly last season. So I expect an underwhelming season from Bateman, but at the same time, I would still take him over Zay Flowers, who I don't think is a great wide receiver prospect. I think he helps an offense, 4-4 speed, um, good route tree. He, he is a good complementary piece, but I don't think he's a wide receiver two even in the NFL. I think he's a starting caliber wide receiver who was a late breakout for a reason at Boston College. He's just not a dominant wide receiver. Um, helps an offense. You need that speed to operate the uh, the run game, to operate like pass catchers like Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman as well. Rashad Bateman's like a 4-4 guy, but he's not like, he's not blazing downfield. Right. 
I would I would bank on Bateman, but I'm probably not taking him either in that range. I'm looking at Bateman. I'm I'm gonna take I'd probably take, you know, my tight end one if I passed on guys like David Njoku's in that range. Uh Cortland Sutton, I still think Cortland Sutton can have a bounce back here, whether it's in Denver or somewhere else. I, I just think the offense was so discombobulated last year that the uh Cortland Sutton suffered. Um yeah, yeah, I, I actually bought into him a lot last year thinking, okay, two years removed from the ACL, he's good, but everything went wrong in Denver. No, but it, again, it absolutely yeah. did. Like mm-hmm. I, I had, I thought that Sutton was like the golden ticket in like the fourth, fifth round last year. Uh, wrong. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, any Denver, any Den- Denver heavy team was drawing dead pre- pretty immediately. But, but yeah, I, I'm with you on Flowers. Like I, I like him. I, I've liked him since, since his early days at, at BC. I don't think that, you know, he he was one of those receivers that benefits from from this crazy passing offense like Boston College struggled and he was like the only reason why it was even like competent basically. But, you know, you're talking about a guy who is just undersized and yes, he does have some long speed. But I think, you know, him being in the slot, I think he's just kind of like at best, like the number four like target for, for, for Lamar Jackson. Like I think that Andrews obviously still leads the way even with the new offense. Um, and then I, I think, you know, when, when he's not looking at Andrews, like he's probably looking at deeper shots down the field. And that's that's where Bateman and Beckham are going to be. Uh, Beckham, I'm completely out on second ACL. Just I, I think he's just pure name value at this point. Um, maybe he has a couple games where he looks like himself, but even returning uh, in that second half for the Rams prior to the playoff run, he was pretty mediocre. I think his yards for target were just like seven. Or so mm-hmm. that's about where he was. His target share went up, which is great. He's Odell Beckham. He should be targeted at the, like, or he was going to get targeted because of his name value and who he was and playing off of Cooper Cup. But overall, I don't think Odell Beckham is going to be Odell Beckham anymore. It is very, very hard to see him utilized properly. Like I'd take Zay Flowers for sure. If you were giving me Odell at a cheaper ADP, I don't even know what. O- oh yeah, it's like 108. I'm not going to touch Odell. I'd rather take okay. Zay Flowers. I'm probably not taking either. Honestly, honest to God, the only pieces I want of this Baltimore offense are Mark Andrews. I'm paying full freight. I will buy third round Mark Andrews, by the way. Um, I think all of these pieces around him just make him better because we've seen him as an adept touchdown scorer. Um, he's been used more so as a short option in this offense, thanks to like Tyler Huntley playing so many games. But yep. we forget how much of a downfield threat Mark Andrews is. He has just in, in not long speed, but... Um, he has breakaway ability and yeah, Bateman, Zay Flowers, Odell just being on the field opens Mark Andrews up like a ton and Lamar and him have such a great rapport. Uh, he's like the only big bodied receiver on the team at the moment. Yep. So I'd rather pay full freight for the tight end two who averaged tight end one points per game prior to uh, the injury midseason. As long as Lamar's healthy, Mark Andrews can very well just score similarly to Travis Kelsey, if not like one or two points per game down. Uh, I think so too. Again, again you know, it's a, it's a expensive draft draft price for him be, being an early third round guy, but like I, I'm with you there. I, th- I think he is worth it. Uh, you did mention David and Joku, so I, I think uh, let, let's steer it over talking some tight end uh, strategy. So if if you're not in that position where where you're going with Kelsey in the first round or uh, Mark Andrews yeah. in the, in the third um, oftentimes you find yourself waiting. So do you target that, that next tier? I think I know your answer already about, about Hawkinson, but you know, Kittle and, and so on, or, you know, how late is too late to get your first tight end? 
I, I mean, I've messed up in drafts. I ended up with like Chig Okonkwu as my tight end one, which I was not happy with. I like Chig. I like him as a TE2 in best ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not touching middle of the first round Travis Kelsey. It's not because of age. It's not. It's just way too expensive for the first tight end, considering that tight end two, who, again, was scoring similarly, is going 26 picks after. I'd literally just rather wait. And I have drafted a good bit, bit of Mark Andrews. Um, and Joku, as uh, the aforementioned Joku here, I know we've been waiting on the breakout year over year over year. He looked really good last year prior to. I think he had a knee injury, and he's had a couple dings here and there but that's just natural mm-hmm. position but uh deshaun watson massive upgrade as we know i think year two i know he's a bad person and all that but he's still a good quarterback uh year two in this offense not coming in mid-season after 11 games of sitting on the bench having actual rapport in practice with these guys uh i think njoku is a massive beneficiary going off the board of t9 i prefer him to waller and ingram um i would like goddard too i, I would pay for goddard in his range Sorry, I'm just going mm-hmm. off the top 10. I'm just looking at the top 10 here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like the Goddard. If you can't get Goddard, I like Njoku. But I, yeah, I like Njoku too. And I, I think like the, the talents there, I think the offense in and of itself is going to be better. And, you know, outside of Amari Cooper, like, do we really know for certain, like who the, who the second best target is in that offense? I, I think there's an argument to be made that, that it is Njoku over like a Donovan Peoples-Jones or, or, you know, Cedric Tillman. Uh, Elijah Moore kind of um, is a bit of a wrinkle there. I do have a decent amount of Elijah Moore, of, of course, but um, yeah, and, and Joku, um, you know, certainly like the, the way that he functions, the athleticism that he has in the in the size, like that sets him up much better for for you know like the the actual fantasy production that that we're looking for uh, as far as touchdowns are concerned over over someone like Moore. And I, I just feel like. It, it, like you said, it, it barely needs to be said about Deshaun Watson, but I think this offense looks so much better th- this year, and I, I don't really take anything away from from you know how he looked late in the year last year. Yeah, it, it's a mulligan. I know we shouldn't be throwing Deshaun Watson of all people mulligans, but fantasy wise, I'm um, I I don't want to hold that against him, and I I do believe Njoku is still a very talented tight end. We've seen many a tight ends throughout the years break out late into their twenties. Uh, and Joku's just like what 26 he'll be 27 in like a month that is still right. so young that is still so young he's just entering his prime he he, re- he really is I think that that's understated like he he came into the league you know with, with so much hype because he got drafted so high but he was I believe he was like 20 years old um, as a rookie so obviously yeah. that position has a longer uh, learning curve at, at the NFL level that, than a lot of other fantasy relevant positions where it's just plug and play like a, like a running back that type of thing um, but you, you mentioned Chego Conquo. I too have have uh, messed up and and made him my tight end one a bunch. I, I have him, I think, like a seventy five percent exposure right now over on Underdog. So probably need to calm down a, a little bit on that one. I, and I routinely find myself taking him like just because I'm I'm light on tight end and I, I don't really want the other guys right behind him to to be my my first tight end. Like I will jump you know, uh, up a round or so to, to go ahead and, and secure uh, his services. Um, but, you know, what what do you make of him for this year? Obviously, you're in on him to some extent, but, you know, how much exposure should we be getting to, to one Chigo Conquo? I'm I'm terrified, obviously, of the pass offense, the, the pass volume in the Tennessee offense, because it, it could easily transfer hands over to Will Levis. And I don't trust, or Levis, uh, excuse my um, pronunciation. I... I think Okonkwu, this is just 
just, it just comes to mind every time I think of him. I think he's one of those guys who's going to have like four or five spike weeks and just be a zero, like a complete dud every other week. But those four or five weeks where he does hit, you know, it's always in your lineup and it's very productive and it makes the final line on his year look so good. But oh, year, week over week, which you obviously need week over week production, it is going to be inconsistent. Um, and that is what scares me if you were to grab him as your tight end one. Which is why I'm grabbing my tight end too. Like if I get a Mark Andrews and I get a Chikukonku, I'm I'm ex- I'm over the moon. If I get a Njoku and Chikukonku, you're praying that the spike weeks are alternating. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I prefer to get a tight end early. Take a Konku. Like I'm happy. Like he's pick what 120, 130 in that range. Yep, that's nothing. That's like you're you're one of the last picks in your draft. There's only uh, in an underdog the best ball draft, there's only 18 picks. So I don't mind taking my tight end too early, especially when he's talented as the Konku is able to make so much out of so little. But yeah, I'm not, I'm terrified of taking him as my tight end one. I'm pretty much punting the leagues that I got him with my TE one. Fair, fair. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out for, for your boy here, but uh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully those spike weeks can, can help carry yeah. things along. Obviously this year compared to last year, as far as the, the draft class at tight end is it couldn't be, more different where Trey McBride was the the best of a bad bunch last year that this year we, we had so many uh, rookies go in the, in the first two days of the draft. So um, your, your thoughts on, on guys like Dalton Kincaid, Sam Lamporta, uh, Michael Mayer, and anyone else that, that you think should, should be on your late round radar. I don't think any of these tight ends should really be on your late round radar. Ah, okay. It's very, very frustrating to see how high Kincaid's going, especially. And I know I've talked a lot of uh, dirt, I guess, on Kincaid lately. And, you know, nothing against the guy. He seems like a fine dude. But as a football player, he's a fifth year breakout. You know, I get it. He played basketball, he transferred from uh, USD. Uh, you know, they say his breakout came at 19 with those stats, but, you know, FCS stats, I don't really care for that much. Um, when I look at Kincaid, his production didn't really come until Brett Kuith. I forgot what his name was on Utah. Excuse me. Again, pronunciation, not my strong suit, even though my last name is frustrating. I I look at Kincaid. I don't see an alpha tight end. Most of his production came against some of the worst defenses in college football. Yes, he's a good route runner. Yes, he has good hands, but he's not great after the catch. Uh, he was just older and bigger than everybody in college last year. So that's why his production was as good as it was. I look at Sam Laporte, a true junior. He was uh, like doubling the receiving yard usage, uh, receiving yards and receptions of his teammates at Iowa. Um, I would trust an Iowa tight end over Kincaid, especially when he's coming out a year younger. Uh, I actually, I think Luke Musgrave's a guy to keep on your radar. I have no idea what he's going to look like as a rookie, but he's someone who in spurts when healthy, at Oregon State, looked like one of the best receivers on the field on either team. Uh, Mayer seems safe, but boring. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, don't care for any of these guys because rookie tight ends are a crapshoot. They, they are, and, the, and like admittedly, like the the track record is is bad on, on these guys for for the most part because you know it takes some time uh, to kind of get get your feet under you. And, you know, the, the tight end position, like it just inherently like what's the best way for a rookie tight end to get on the field? Well, like he, he's got to be like a plus blocker, like Kincaid. He will obviously have a different type of role. I think they're going to like try to yeah. make him big slot type of guy. But guys like Mayer and Laporta, like, you know, that they, they're going to get on the like blocking is is their ticket to get on the field. And we'll, we'll see what they're able to negotiate from the, from the target share from there. Like, obviously, the, the Detroit's going to be a little bit more pass happy than than Vegas or at least we assume so 
Um, it, but you know, like I don't think that you can just look at Mayer, see that Darren Waller's gone, and be like, okay, this this is what he's going to get um, because he's a very different type of tight end um, than than Darren Waller. He doesn't have that that um, that same level athleticism or really anything close to it. But Mayer was so impressive to me in college that I think he will turn into a success in the league. But you know, if it ends up with him just having like thirty five catches this year, I wouldn't be completely shocked. It's very boring taking those rookie tight ends and just watching like the two games. They have like seven receptions and be like, okay, it's coming. And then it just never comes. Yeah. Mayor, I'm not saying he has to compete with Austin Hooper and that Austin Hooper, some ultra talented tight end, but he's a veteran tight end and teams love to put those guys on the field unnecessarily too much. Um, Kincaid has to compete with Dawson Knox, who just got paid like 12 million or $14 million a year. I'm not saying Knox is that great of a player. He's just, he's going to play. And yes, Kincaid is the quote-unquote slot receiver. He's going to be like the move tight end. Uh, the guy they have chip blocking and running uh, routes. He's basically playing like a big Cole Beasley role, but I don't think he's going to get that Cole Beasley target share. Um, I still, like he's probably the fourth, maybe even fifth, be- I'll say fourth, best receiving option on that team. They should be playing, playing Khalil Shakir over Kincaid if they want to get a third wide receiver on the field. Uh if, it, it, I don't know. You can move get Diggs into the slot if you feel like have him run every route possible, put uh, Shakir and Davis outside. There's so many ways that the Bills can utilize their offensive weaponry. And, and you know, people talk shit about Davis, but Gabe Davis is fine. Um, yeah. I don't think Kincaid's going to get this crazy target share that people envision, especially playing in an offense that we expect to run more this year. Yeah. I- what well said, like all around. I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not there with 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 Kincaid. Uh, I just think that, yeah, that there are better options uh, in that offense, and and you know, so we're we're just kind of stuck with with him having like at that low um, target ceiling. So if these rookie uh, tight ends are are not your jam uh, late in drafts, who are you usually targeting as your tight end to? Uh, you know, assuming it's not our guy Chig. Okay, well, if it's not Chig. Uh, I, I did like Juwan Johnson before the Foster Moreau signing. I like Foster Moreau and Juwan Johnson kind of the same, but Moreau just had cancer, which uh, obviously awful, but fortunately uh, he's healed. I have no idea what to make of him. Uh, so I'm probably just not going to touch uh, Juwan Johnson anymore, even though I do think he's quite talented. The Chargers didn't draft anybody. Gerald Everett had a fine year last year. Why is he going behind Tyler Igby, Irv Smith, who's done nothing throughout his career, rookie Sam Laporta? What's the difference between Gerald Everett and Dalton Schultz this year? One of them has Justin Herbert. See? They're both starting tight ends. They're both going to get the same target share. No, well, I I like your point there. I th- I think that he he is like like it's not a sexy pick. Like you don't you don't walk around telling people that you got a lot of Gerald Everett, but. Um, you know, it's an offense that's going to score a lot of touchdowns and, and, you know, you, you add Quentin Johnson to the mix, maybe that, that alters the, the way that the targets are, are distributed, uh, and the new offensive coordinator and everything. But yeah, Everett can absolutely get it done. And I think, you know, he, the way that he's priced right now, it, it, it's definitely one to, you know, where, where you should be keeping him, uh, on the radar. You mentioned Dalton Schultz. What about the the Cowboys and and how how they kind of approach the tight end position that this off season, you know, where where they add in Luke Schoonmaker, which I think a lot of people were surprised by that that he was the guy. They obviously waited a little bit longer than than most expected uh, to address the tight end position, but then you you know outside of him, you have Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot. I have a lot of Jake Ferguson. I lived mm-hmm. in Madison, Wisconsin for a while, so that might be why. But um, you know, what, what's your read on on that tight end group? 
I mean, Jake Ferguson of all Cowboys pass catchers had the second highest yards per target only behind CeeDee Lamb. Again, mm-hmm. 22 targets, not very much, but you know, he's playing behind Schultz, who was their quote unquote guy last year. I think he's better than Schultz, honestly. Um, Spoonmaker, my guess is he's the project tight end that they work on because he is very athletic. Uh, I don't know how league ready he is, and we know how rookie tight ends do take a while. I'm going to take my shots on Ferguson. Hendershot, I don't think much of. Ferguson's like college career, actually. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, you're from there. They, they drafted him in the fourth round, and he's been productive since his true freshman season at Wisconsin. Uh, I know the yards aren't that impressive. You never cracked 500, but it's not like Wisconsin, Wisconsin's a pass half happy offense. So he's no. had a significant share of receiving usage in college. He looked good as a rookie. Do I think he's going to be a tight end one? No, but can he give you tight end one weeks this season, especially with Dak Prescott slinging it? Absolutely. I think Ferguson's the guy to get in this offense. And if I miss out on Everett, I'm taking Ferguson. I am stacking him with Dak Prescott, who uh, going back to that eighth round, ninth round range, I'm taking mm-hmm. my quarterback. I'm taking a tight end in that range. If I don't hit on them earlier, I'm very happy taking those guys and avoiding the running backs, avoiding the wide receivers. Yeah, so so Dak obviously an option there. Deshaun Watson also uh, yes. someone that, that you can get in that range. Um, so so yeah, good to be kind of set at at running back and receiver heading into that part of the draft. So you can um, go ahead snag your tight end, snag your quarterback um, in, in best ball. Um, any other lingering thoughts here? And and of course, uh, please uh, drop your your Twitter handle and, and all that good stuff where people can can find your work before we uh, before we head out here. Uh, yeah, it gets ugly after pit, like, especially the running backs. We know how ugly running backs get every year. Uh, after I would say the Khalil Herbert to Kendra Miller range after like the one thirties, there's basically no running backs to take. I'm, I'm taking them early and often. I'm hammering them early. I love the first three rounds. There are plenty of workhorse quote or like, pseudo workhorse compared to what they used to be available get Bijan, get jonathan taylor get saquon get what you get what you have to do there are so many wide receivers available especially after like pick 150 there are wide receiver twos like van jefferson available for you to take i know it's not the sexiest offense but they're going to give you usable weeks whereas you're pretty much wasting picks with running backs who are never going to see the field after that range um the name of the game is getting points and getting them weekly don't waste your picks on these late round running backs who are just going to give you goose eggs week in and week out. So that's basically the only tidbit I can offer. I'm, I'm hammering double RB where possible. I wish I could keep doing Bijan Jonathan Taylor, but I believe their bye week is the same now. Ooh. So I, I think it is. I think it's like week nine or so. Um, I loved that combo initially because you could get them middle of the first, middle of the second, but that's out of, um, yeah, out of the question now. Uh, beyond that, follow me at Rotosurgeon. I'm going to be tweeting about best ball, live drafts, dynasty, whatever going forward. Uh, my work's over at Rotoballer. The operating room is the podcast. If you'd like to listen, I will be getting into football uh, over the summer. Right now, it is still baseball talk. So if you're into fantasy baseball, follow along as well. Uh, John, thank you so much for having me, brother. Love it, man. Yeah, that's. Um, I'm gonna have to check out the the baseball takes. I, I know that. Um, you, you, I see your your uh, your constant tilting about be, uh, baseball, best ball, and and I certainly echo a lot of those sentiments. Um, and uh, boy, th- this week, manager genius uh, benched Lance Lynn for like his one you know useful start that he'll probably give this entire season. But I digress. 
Um, but yes, thanks a ton. Everyone go follow Kev at Rotosurgeon over on Twitter. Follow all his work across the podcast networks and the fantasy landscape. That's going to do it for us here on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, presented by our friends at Circa. That's Kev. I'm John. Thanks for listening.